Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. This morning. Hallelujah. Hi everyone. I have to be honest, it does not get easier to get back up here. You know, really? You get so nervous. I'm nervous. No, always nervous. Wow. Glory to God. Amen. Yeah, praise the Lord this morning for his goodness, for his kindness, for his never failing love, his steadfast love. Amen. His new mercies, they're new every morning. Isn't it true? What time is it? Check your watch. It's morning time. That means it's a new mercy. Hallelujah. I just want to pray. Let's pray and let's get into the word. Hallelujah, Lord. I just thank you this morning. It's true. You use men in weakness, Lord. And so I pray that you'd help me, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you have given me something. You have shown something uh, to me from your words. And I pray this morning that you would give me the grace to deliver it because it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about your victory. It's all about your power. It's all about the complete and finished work of Calvary. There's nothing that we can add to it. There's nothing we can do to take away from it, Lord. It exists forever as God's standard. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that you would move everything out of the way, Lord, so that we can clearly see you, Jesus, just as you are. We pray for the gospel this morning. We pray for life this morning. We pray for encouragement, resurrection power this morning. And we just worship you because you're worthy. Because you're worthy, Lord. You're worthy. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Folks, will you turn with me to Exodus chapter 25? And we're going to read from verses 17 through 22. And I've called this word this morning, How to Hear from God. How to Hear from God, brackets, I'll see you there close brackets. I'll see you there. Exodus 25 verse 17. Turn with me, please. So we're going to be looking at two passages today that I think are linked in an amazing way. I think that there's a wonderful, wonderful through line between these two portions of scripture. And so we're going to start in Exodus and then we're going to go to the gospel of John. Are you all there? Exodus 25 Brief context, God is giving Moses um, sort of commandments on how he wants the tabernacle to be built, okay? So we know that Israel journeyed for 38 years through the desert, and God wanted to speak, meet, be with his people. And so he designated a place where they would meet, a tabernacle, right? A tent made of skins, and that was the place where he wanted to meet with his people. Amen. And at the center of the tabernacle, there was a most holy place, right? And at the center of the most holy place, there was something called the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. So let's take it up here in verse uh, um, 17. So Paul, excuse me, um, God speaks to Moses about some of the detail of this Ark of the Covenant. 
Um, has anyone seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, it's not like that, okay? <laughs> okay, well, that maybe is the best cultural reference point, the Ark of the Covenant. So here's what God describes to Moses. Verse 17, this is the important one here. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, angels of gold, of hammered work shall you make them. One on two ends of the mercy seat. Folks, work with me this morning. Try and imagine that picture. One on two ends of the mercy seat. Of one piece of the mercy seat, you shall make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces of the cherubims shall be, and then verse 21, and you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. So we know in the ark there was the urn, there was a, a urn of manna, there was the staff of Aaron that budded, okay, and then there were the tablets of the testimony, the, the decalogue, okay, inside. But look at verse 22. This is what I want us to look at this morning. This is really the theme here. Listen, God says this, there I will meet with you. Isn't that wonderful? There I will meet with you. Okay, between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that, uh, um, about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Amen. So you can put a finger there on Exodus 25 and then follow me to John chapter 20. Now this is a wonderful portion of scripture. It's familiar. It's the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, we're not going to read from verse 1, but it's important to maybe get a picture of what happens. The Bible says that Mary Magdalene was the first person at the tomb on the day that Jesus rose. Now it says that she ran back Having seen that the stone was rolled away, she ran back and she grabbed Peter and the disciple who Jesus loved. What a way to refer to yourself, John. I love that about John. He refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. And so the Bible says these two men proceed to race toward the tomb toward the garden tomb. And now the Bible says that the one, the disciple who Jesus loved got there first, right? What a um, humble rendition of events, okay? So the one who Jesus loved, the one, the disciple who Jesus loved the most ran the fastest and got to the tomb. And the Bible says he looked in and he saw a linen cloth and waited outside. And the Bible says that Peter, well, you know, Peter was probably over 40, so he's probably a little heavier. John was a teenager. I'm pushing 40. I know the difference. I could certainly run faster when I was a teenager. So John, get, Peter gets there in the end. He looks in. He sees the linen cloth that Jesus would have been wrapped in, but he sees another part of the picture. He sees the cloth that should have wrapped Jesus's head folded neatly, amen, on another part at another side of where Jesus had been laying. So this picture of resurrection is growing and growing all the time. 
And so when we get to verse chapter 10, the Bible says Mary got to the tomb, but she waited outside. So look at verse 11. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus had lain. Folks, do you see it? She saw two angels seated where Jesus was laying. Oh, you're loving, you're loving God's word already this morning. She saw two angels seated on either side where Jesus was laying. Listen, one at the head and one at the feet. Glory to God. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken my, away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? <laughs> Glory. Twice that question, folks. What do you have to cry about? What, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, which in a way I think he, he is. He's the vine and the vine dresser. Hallelujah. Okay. Supposing him to be in the, guard, the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that, and that he had said these things to her. Augustine called Mary Magdalene the apostle to the apostles. Isn't it wonderful? The apostle to the apostles. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you ever feel like you're not doing enough? Do you ever feel that way, that you're not doing enough? If, you've, if you're unfamiliar with that feeling, just listen to somebody tell you about their prayer life. Yeah? If you feel like, if you, you don't know how it, what it is to feel like you're not doing enough, just talk to somebody about their prayer life. I remember I went to uh, uh, Bible school for three years, um, Ireland School of Ministry. It was a fantastic time. Uh, we were there uh, on, under Pastor Hamp, and it was amazing. And we got the privilege of listening to some amazing men and women of God talk about how God uses them and used them. And we were so inspired. But every now and again, they would talk about their prayer lives. And there's nothing wrong with prayer, folks. I am absolutely about prayer. But they would sort of talk about how long they prayed for. They would talk about the length of their prayers and how early on they would start praying and that sort of thing. And, and, and I knew that prayer was good and, and we as students knew that prayer was good, but we couldn't help but feel okay, the, cha the challenge was on, okay, maybe we're not doing enough. And so what we used to do was get up early, right? I remember one time in particular, uh, a, a, a minister came and was teaching us about prayer. And the next, not even the next morning, as soon as class was over, a few of us decided we are going to get up early 
and we're going to pray and we're going to seek the face of God. We're going to have an experience of heaven before we experience even a human relationship. We're going to touch heaven. You know that sort of zeal, right? That sort of goes up like, you know, you, you know when you put Mentos in, uh, in, in a bottle of Coke, yeah? And it gets like, and that sort of thing. And so the next morning, me and my friends, we wake up, we go downstairs. I slept in because that's me. But 6.15, I got down there and we started praying. One minute, two minutes, three minutes. And an hour later, I woke up with my face in my Bible. I did. And I was so deep, I was so fast asleep. I think you could have read, you could have read the Gospel of John off my cheek. <laughs> That's how deep in sleep I was. It's amazing. It was almost as if the more I looked to do, the harder, the more I looked to find God, the more I tried to reach God, the harder he was to find. The harder he was to find. Look at this quote by Charles Spurgeon. I've found in my own spiritual life that the more rules I lay down for myself, the more sins I commit. The habit of regular morning and evening prayer is one which is indispensable to a believer's life. But prescribing the length of prayer and the constrained remembrance of it, as much as it's about remembering the persons and the subjects, Spurgeon says it may gender unto bondage and strangle prayer rather than assist it. So communing with God wasn't the issue. It's right and good and true to spend time with the, the, the redeemer of your soul, the lover of your soul. But it seemed that the heart, the motivating force behind me attempting to pray was wrong. That seemed to be the issue. The more I tried, the further he seemed to, to, to be from me. But I want to tell you this morning, folks, there is good news. Hallelujah. There is good news. He is a God of relationship. He desires communion with you. And beyond that, he has told you where he will meet you. He's told you where you can find him. He's told you where he can be found. If you are struggling to hear from God this morning, he's told you where he'll meet you. If you're struggling to hear his voice, sense his presence, sense his nearness, He's given you a place where he will meet with you. Hallelujah. Where he'll speak to you. It's at the mercy seat. Praise the Lord. Remember when I was dating Laura? Um, one thing I didn't do, because I really liked her, was um, say, hey, we should go out Friday night and then walk away without making any further arrangements. <laughs> I made sure she knew um, where we could meet. I made sure she knew, not just that my intention was to meet with her, but I also wanted her to know where we would meet. I wanted her to know that. I didn't want her to have to guess, it, guess or, or, or work it out or figure it out. I wanted her to know because my desire was to meet with her. Mary's, is, Mary's journey here in, in John 20, we're going to jump into the scripture shortly. Mary's, story, Mary's journey, I think, in, in John chapter 20 
isn't so much about her trying to get through to God, try, you know, trying to find Jesus. I think it's got a lot more to do with Jesus finding her. That's how we need to read John chapter 20. It's not about a woman seeking her saviour. It's about a saviour seeking, seeking the, 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 the Mary, his, his servant. And uh, I want to say something as well, just as we jump into the scriptures. Folks, the stone is rolled away. Hallelujah. The stone is rolled away, yet there still might be some barriers this morning. There still might be some barriers. Okay? And I'm going to look a little bit out from, the, from this passage in John about some of the barriers that I know and I believe Jesus wants to move away, out of the way this morning, so you can hear him and see him clearly. Amen? Okay, so the stone is rolled away, but there are still two barriers I want to look at this morning, and then I want to look at a blessing, okay? So two barriers and a blessing. And the first barrier is how I see myself. That's the first barrier. That's the first thing that can hinder your communion with God, how you see yourself. And the second barrier is how you see God. And uh, then I want to look at the freeing reality of how he sees you. Does that sound okay? Let's go. Let's get into the scriptures this morning. How I see myself. Folks, self-perception can be a barrier to communion with God. It can. It can. Look at verse 11 here. Now Mary stood crying outside of the tomb. She was the first to the tomb, yet she went and told the disciples. She didn't go in. She didn't even look in. She immediately ran back to tell the disciples. Maybe it was those she felt were more worthy than her. Those she felt were more deserving than her. So she ran back instead of running in. Isn't that interesting? And they entered, but she waited outside. And so in verse 11, it says that she stood outside of the tomb crying. She stood outside of the tomb while others went in, others saw, and the scriptures say, believe, Mary was on the outside. And I wonder, did she deal with a sense of unworthiness, folks? Did she deal with that? That sense that maybe I'm not enough? There's something that's missing in me. Something I'm failing to do. I can push others toward God, encourage them into the things of God. But it's, it's, there's something about me that sort of keeps me on the outside. And folks, she loved Jesus. She loved Jesus and she wanted to draw near. But maybe she couldn't get beyond what she was. And the Bible teaches us that she was a woman. So that's a social barrier. One of the most amazing things about this gospel is that Jesus entrusted it initially to a woman. That's one of the reasons why we know the resurrection is true, because no one in the ancient world would have dreamed of writing an account where a woman was entrusted with this sort of news first. In the ancient world, it would have been a complete anathema. So she had a social barrier to deal with in her perception of herself. And not just that, she was formerly a prostitute. So there was a sexual barrier there as well. And Luke chapter 8 verses 1 to 2 tells us that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. So she was a former demoniac also. So there was a social barrier, a sexual barrier, 
and a spiritual barrier. All things that seemed to play into Mary's view of who she was. And so she pushed others forward, but stayed back herself. The stone was rolled away, but her self-perception kept her from entering in, folks. Do you see it? How she viewed herself. We need to be careful, folks, about self-examination. Self-examination is okay, but make sure it doesn't become self-deprecation. We can look at ourselves. It's good to know. It's good to consider your ways, but it's in the context of the love of the Redeemer. It's in the context of Christ that you look at yourself. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says here. Any practice that detracts from faith is an evil practice, but especially the kind of self-examination that would take us away from the foot of the cross and send us in the wrong direction. Folks, I believe there's people here, you're beating yourself up this morning. You are not what you have done. You are not the sum total of your failures or your mistakes. You are not, don't disqualify yourself from something that you never qualified yourself for. And there's liberty here. There's something I want to show you from the passage. God wants to show you something outside of yourself to free you from yourself, to set you free from you. Listen to a quote by Thomas, Thomas Chalmers. He says this, If we derive no good, good from the work of self-examination, because we find that all uh, is confusion and mistiness within, so in other words, when we look inward, all we get is confused, right? He says, let us go forth upon the truths which are without We need to look at some truth that's beyond the truth of who we are or who we're not, okay? And these will pour a flood of light into all the mazes and intricacies of the soul and at length render that work easy, which before was impracticable. That's amazing. We need to see something greater beyond ourselves if we're going to enter in. Amen? We need to be lifted out of failure out of performance Christianity. Oh, if you've had a good day, yep, God loves me and he's for me and I can throw up a prayer as easy as I throw up a, I don't know, something that's light and easy to throw up. But if things don't go, if things don't go well, have you ever given God a cooling off period? Well, he must, well, I just dropped the ball today. I need to back away. I can't go in. I can't beat. I can't. All this sort of thing. God wants to give you liberty. Listen, we need a fresh vision of the gospel. Amen. To free us from self and give us confidence. And look at what the text says. Look at Mary. The Bible says that she had to bend to look in. And there's a humility that we can adopt that allows us look look and see that it's not about our performance, but actually it's about his. Listen, listen to this. It's not about my performance. It's not about your performance. It's not about me. Amen? It's, about, it's not about what I've done. It's not about how my day has gone. It's not about how I feel about myself. It's not even a matter of what other people think of me. I need to bend to humble myself if I'm going to see something greater, higher, something that can liberate me. 
Listen to Matthew Henry, the great commentator, he said this, come and see the victories of the cross. Amen. Christ's wounds are thy healing. Listen, his agonies are thy repose. His conflicts are thy conquests. His groans are thy songs. His pains, thine ease. His shame, thy glory. Isn't that amazing, folks? You need to see your shame on him. You need to see the one who took your shame in order for you to walk free from shame. Mary got, listen, it's the truth, y'all. Listen, listen, look. Uh, (laughs) uh, His death, thy life. His sufferings, thy salvation. I like a quote by Robert Murray McShane. He simply said this, for every one look at myself, I need 10 looks at Christ. For every one look at myself, I need 10 looks from Christ. And look at this in verse 12, because Mary was on a journey from merit to mercy. As she wept, she bent to look over into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one on the head and the other at the foot. When she looked in, she got the complete view, folks. And folks, I want you to follow me here. She looked, she saw the linen, she saw the cloth, the folded cloth, and she saw the angels. That's the complete picture. She saw the the cloth and the angels. Now the angels, the scriptures say, particularly in Acts chapter 7, Stephen in his speech says this, that the law was delivered through angels. Paul says it in his epistles also. That the law, the standard, the righteous standard of God was delivered through angels. Amen? So I want you to imagine that those angels signify the law, the righteous standard of God. And then look at the cloth, a folded cloth. In antiquity, in antiquity, and this is why I love it, man. (laughs) Let's get excited. In antiquity, when a carpenter was finished a job, He would splash himself with water. He would take the cloth that he often would wrap around his head to shield himself from the sun. And he would pat himself down. And then he would fold the cloth and put it on the finished work. And that was how he would tell everybody who came afterwards, the job is done. So the righteousness, the righteous standards, the law, the righteous standards, the righteousness of God and a man came and fulfilled the standard. Jesus obeyed for you. Jesus obeyed for you. Not your obedience, but the obedience of the Son of God. That's the whole picture, Mary. It's not about your performance. Somebody performed for you. Somebody met the righteous standard of God on your behalf. Somebody obeyed for you. Come on, y'all. Somebody prayed when you couldn't. Somebody believed when you couldn't. Somebody obeyed what you couldn't. Bled for you and now stands where you could never stand. Jesus is the mercy seat. Jesus is the mercy seat. Look at this. Look at this. Isaiah 59 says this.
The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered why no one would intercede for mankind, for his people. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. He saw that there was no one who could do it. So he came and did it himself. He saw that there was no one who could stand righteously before God. So he wrapped himself in zeal, in flesh, and came and did it himself. Hallelujah. Psalm 40 says this, A body you've prepared for me. I delight to do thy will, O God. God provided one with a heart that delighted to do his will. Was we sure don't have a heart like that? I mean, we do by faith in Christ, but nobody here can rise to the standard, can walk in victory all the time, stand righteously all the time. And so God sent one who could. I saw you in your inability, so I provided. I came myself. I did it myself. I obeyed when you couldn't. I sacrificed what you couldn't, and I stood where you couldn't. Someone who knew what it was to be human, to experience weaknesses, to know the limits of the flesh, and to overcome, to achieve. He rose to the standard, walked in victory. He prayed enough, read enough. He obeyed for you. He obeyed for you. Jesus Christ obeyed for you. Christ's obedience is God's mercy. I saw you in your failure, in your inability, and I was moved with compassion. My law that should have liberated you, crushed you because you didn't come by faith. So I came and I took on flesh and I did it for you so that those laws can become promises that you can stand in by faith, by promise, not by performance. Jesus is priest, he is mercy seat and he is sacrifice. What does that mean? It means we have no part to play. Only to see and believe. We can't represent ourselves before God. And there's no sacrifice you can make. There's no sacrifice you can make. Enough crawling to God on your knees in prayer. Oh God, look at what I've done. Look at this. Look at that. All of that. Stop crawling. You have an intercessor. You have one who was perfect on your behalf. You have one who was righteous for you. He's the standard. He's the standard. It's not works righteousness. It's faith in the righteousness that was revealed from God. From faith to faith. From first to last. The righteousness of God revealed in the gospel. When God saw we had none, he came himself. The lawmaker and the lawkeeper are the same person. The tomb is the final resting place of every performance apart from one. Every performance apart from one. The divine and the human together. Jesus is the mercy seat. I will not fall back into performance. I will rest in mercy. I will rest 
in the performance of another. I will not fall back into performance. Mercy frees me from performance. Grace frees me from performing. I don't have to perform. I just need to stand in the performance of another. Second, barrier. How I see God. How I see God. Because a wrong view of God can be a barrier as well to communing with him. Verse 13, they asked the woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She didn't realise it was Jesus. Why are you weeping, Mary? Can't you see what was done for you? Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? Look at what was done for you. Look at what was achieved for you. And yet Mary couldn't see it because she was still busy trying to achieve for God. She was looking for a God that she thought was hidden. A God that she felt that she needed to find. Are you trying to find a God that's not hiding? She had the wrong view of him. She had a small view of him. And it brought her to tears. It bore frustration in her life. And so much frustration comes from trying to find a God who's not hidden. He's not hidden. Coming to God through your efforts, through your works, through trying harder, through attempting deeper devotion, not from a place of acceptance and security, but from a place of insecurity and fear. Somehow if I don't reach God, I'm going to lose him, miss him, miss the will of God for my life, miss the answer I'm looking for, miss the sort of communion God died to give me. No, if, you, if that's you this morning, it's like putting on a spiritual blindfold and then asking God why he's hiding. It's what it's like. As long as this is about you doing more, you're going to have trouble discerning his presence. You are. Mary couldn't see him. She couldn't discern him, and he was speaking to her. So often when we get into that mindset, we miss the blessings of God that are all around us. He's speaking all the time. He's speaking all the time. I think it's Martin Luther who said that, that, the, 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 that the resurrection speaks even through budding flowers at the beginning of spring. That even in nature, there's a testament, that there's a testament to the love and power of God. Are you trying to find a God who's already found you? Are you trying to discern the voice of a God who's already speaking to you? Is it possible that you are looking for a God that is right in front of you? Have you, ever, have you ever lost something that ended up being in your pocket? I never have. I've just heard, of, I've heard that it happens to people. Yeah. <laughs> I always lose things that are on my person. Always. Right? And isn't it funny that when you do that, you start blaming your spouse? I mean, you start off all gracious and Christian. It's love. Have you seen my... So and so. Have you seen my keys? Have you seen my AirPods? My, I lose my AirPods all the time. Thank you, Apple. Thank you for taking away the cord and making life incredibly difficult for me. Always lose my AirPods. But anyway, it starts off that way. Love, have you seen my keys? And then if it's, no, I've not seen your keys. The follow-up question's a little bit more pointed. Really, because I, I'm sure I gave them to you. I saw you with them. 
you know, where are my keys? What did you do with my keys? You're always losing my things, all that sort of thing. And at that point, she goes, have you checked your pockets? Of course I've checked my pockets. Why would, obviously I've checked my pockets. Why would you think that my keys are in my, there it, you, you slipped them in my pocket. <laughs> it's funny, losing things that you have had all along. It's so, it's crazy. I've got a little son, his name is Jackson, and he's got a pair of shades that he loves wearing. And what I, what I find funny is when he puts them on, um, he's immediately distressed that he can't see us anymore. <laughs> he puts his sunglasses on, he can't see us anymore. Uh, <laughs> I think that we're like that. We put on sunglasses, spiritual blinders, the wrong view of God, the wrong lens, the lens of do instead of done, and we can no longer see Jesus. But it doesn't mean he's not there. It doesn't. And that's the trap, folks. I can't see him or feel him or discern him, so then he must be hiding. And I have to find him and I have to give more effort. And I need to pray more, read more, do more, serve more. Folks, it's a, re- it's a recipe for frustration, not revelation. But I want to read a passage from Job 23, verse 8. Behold, I go forward but he's not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On, his left, on the left hand where he's working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. Look at verse 10. But he knows the way I take. Hallelujah. I don't see him, but by faith, he sees me. I don't see him, but he sees me. Do you see that? Mary can't see Jesus, but Jesus sees her. I don't see him, but he sees me. And when he's tried me, I'll come forth as gold. What a wonderful piece of scripture here. He knows the way I take. I'm going to put my hope in his mercy again. Listen to this quote by Spurgeon. I'm going to have to cut Spurgeon a check at this point. (laughs) God is too good to be unkind. And he's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When you are so weak that you cannot do much more than cry, you coin diamonds with both your eyes. And listen to this, folks. The sweetest prayers God ever hears are the groans and sighs of those who have no hope in anything but his love. Hallelujah. If that's you this morning, if you have, if you have abandoned any hope in finding God doing this, get doing more, pushing harder, all that sort of thing, and you're just trusting in his character I want you to know that he's closer to you than you think Psalm 145 verse 18 says the Lord is near to those who call on him to those who call on him in truth and what's the truth that he's a God of grace and mercy he's the initiator of this salvation he's the author of life and he's the one who seeks us out it's not the other way around he will find you on the grounds of grace and mercy and the accomplishment of Jesus. Exodus 25, 22. There I'll meet you. That's where I'm going to meet you. At the point of mercy. At the empty tomb. And the word is propitiation, a theological word, but it means a sacrifice to appease a deity. I'm satisfied with the work of my son, with his blood, Are you? 
Or do you feel that you have to do more? On your worst day, are the merits of the blood enough for you? Folks, if you can't see him this morning, make sure you've got on your, do, your done lenses and not your do lenses. Make sure that you remember that this is not a religion of do, it's a religion of done. Jesus says, I'll meet you by promise, not performance. Take off those lenses, the lens of you and what you are and what you're not, and put on the lens of Christ's performance. God isn't hiding. The problem's on my end. I'll ask you a question. Are you the sort of person, again, not like me, I've just heard that there are people like that in the world, who sort of judge the quality of an invitation on the sort of food that's going to be served? You know? I, yeah, yeah. Are you coming for dinner? I don't know. What are we having? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Do you know, one of my favorite places to visit is Pastor Nick's house. I love it. And I'm not, I don't just go because of the food. It's good. It's great. It's great. The company's amazing. But the food is great. Like, the food's really good. And so sometimes when we get an invite from Pastor Nick, me and my wife have to play it cool. Oh, yeah, no, we'll just see if we can get a sitter. But we're literally on the phone going, <laughs> turn off the hob, turn off the oven. Yes! <laughs> Wear your sweatpants. It's happening. Catherine is an amazing cook. She's an amazing cook. Like, it's almost like the beauty. You know Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, uh, be our guest. Be our guest. Da, 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 da. You're kind of sitting there and there's this amazing spread of food unfolding before you. It's tremendous. I love it. I, we were there at Christmas and we'd, I think me and Laura had eaten before we went to Pastor Nick's house and we ate at Pastor Nick's house. We were being rolled out the door and Pastor Nick goes, do you want a Christmas sandwich? And we were just looking at each other going, yeah, yeah, we do. And it was the best Christmas sandwich we'd ever eaten. We went home. We, I think we stopped at Tesco on the way home to get the ingredients to try and copy this sandwich that we got. And do you know what I love is it, it moves into conversation and into fellowship, all that sort of thing. But folks, I, I wanna, I'm saying all that to say this. God has set a table as well. God has set a table God's only going to come to a table that's furnished with the person and work of his son. God, I need you. Okay, what do we have? Your works or my son's? What are you laying on that table that you're calling me to come to? Your works, your efforts, or my son's? If it's my son's, I'll be there. If it's my son's, I won't miss it. If it's my son, I wouldn't miss it for the world. If it's my son, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll see you there. I'll see you there. Lord, I need you. And the only thing on the table is Christ and him crucified. I'll see you there. I'll be, I'll be right along. I wouldn't miss it. I wouldn't miss it. I'll be there. All I have to do is agree. My part is to agree. My part is to say yes. The blood's enough. I don't need to check my pantry. I just need to check my saviour. It's my saviour. And I want to end. Because Jesus has moved two stones. One, one stone was moved before the passage began. And two stones have been moved. Mary's perception of herself and Mary's perception of her saviour. And now finally she can encounter Jesus' perception of her. She can finally see him clearly. On the merits of Christ... 
alone, we commune with God. Here, he shares his perception of us. Isn't it wonderful? When we come in the right way, he's got something to say to us. He's got something to say to you this morning. If you are at the end of your own strength and here on the merits of Christ alone, there's something he has to say to you. In the place of agreement, the blood is enough, Lord. He speaks to us. He says, Mary, he calls her by her name. I love it. He calls her by her name. He confirms her calling. He breathes, there's, a, there's something powerful that, that it's like he's saying, you belong to me. You're mine. My sheep hear my voice. You belong to me. He calls her by name. He confirms her calling. And she can't see him, but she knows his voice. He recognizes her and she recognizes him for the first time. She calls him teacher. And then Jesus says something. He says, don't hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to my father. I used to think that was harsh. Jesus, I can't be like, hey, I want to hug him. I'd be like, wow. I wasn't sure if I'd see you again. But he says, don't hold on to me. I've not yet ascended to my father, but go and tell my brothers. You know, it's the only time in the New Testament that there's that direct reference from Jesus to the disciples. Jesus to believers. Brothers, go and tell them that my God is now your God and my Father is your Father. So that's, folks, it's the gospel. Mary, don't touch me. You don't need to. It's by faith you partake. It's through faith that you partake of me. You don't need to touch me. I'm going to my Father and I'm sending a comforter. I'm sending the Holy Spirit so you can encounter and engage me in ways you never believed were possible. You don't need to touch me. The righteous shall live by faith, by my faithfulness. You don't need touch anymore. Trust, hear my voice. Do you see how he's bringing her away from, from sight and from the temporal to engaging with him through faith? It's amazing. And then he says, go and tell the disciples that I've won an inheritance for them. Go and tell them what their new identity is. Co-heirs with me, brothers. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, he's not ashamed to call them brothers in the midst of the assembly. Go and tell them that now my God is their God. Go and tell them now that my father is their father. Go and tell them what I've won. Mary, Mary, who ran to, to bring the, 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 the disciples to Jesus, is now running to bring Jesus to the disciples. He set her free. You know, there's two words for saw in the passage. The one in verse 14 and the one in verse 18 are different words. The one saw in verse 14, when she sees Jesus but doesn't perceive him, is more of a spectating of him, taking him in but not taking him in. But the scene here in verse 18, at the end of the passage, that means to see clearly, to fully discern and understand. So in other words, the stones had been rolled away, amen, and she had a clear encounter with the risen Jesus and it set her on fire. After the trial, I'll come forth as gold. She set her off into purpose, set her off into, into fullness of life. That's the message. The message is that you get God. Not just his benefits. 
Go and tell them that you get God, that the gospel, that I have won the right for you to know the Father as I do. I've won the right for you to have the love, the same love I, the Father shows forth to me. Now you can claim that love as your own. That's your, that's how, it's right there in John 17. We've no time, unfortunately, this morning. But we are loved even as Christ is loved this morning. That's powerful, folks. All because of what he's done. I'll see you there. I'll see you there. I'll see you there. At the end of yourself. I'll see you there. I'll see you there. When you have no strength and you're leaning completely on the work of my son. I'll see you at the amen. Where I said amen to the work of Jesus and where you agree, I'll be there to remind you of what I've done, what I've made you, what I've given you, who you are in me because of what I've done. Folks, take courage this morning. He will see you there. I can't hear him. I've been seeking him. I'm dry. He'll see you there. I'll be there. Amen. Amen. Will you close your eyes uh, as uh, Pastor Stephen comes up to pray? Bless the Lord this morning. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.